people think I don't work, but it's like I used to only be able to make money if I went to their place at their time. Now I can make money anywhere. And that's empowering. And it's kind of like blows my mind sometimes. But like that's what happens when you create your own system. You get to dictate the terms. You get to you get to determine the flow. I set my automations up. I set my emails up. I create my posts. I got somebody who does that. I got a system that operates without me. You got to create that water flow system for your life. And if you don't, I don't know. Tweet Talk episode 129. Good to go. Are we on the air, Tweet Talk. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Megan himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. I am your host, Raphael Husband. Yo, my co-host. Did you say hold on, Charles? Right, so we went full countdown mode on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we out here. Got my co-host, Charles Oglesby third JD, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire. And today, we have a guest. But before that, just remind you guys, welcome to Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast, where we discuss... Building Black Wealth, and we break down these financial tweets. And today we got a guest, the name of Dave, aka Coins and Culture, aka so Mr. Whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, got gotta have those in the back. Always working, always coming up with uh with ideas. I gotta throw them up there as quick as I can think of. To the people who you are, Dave, let them know. Yeah, well, first off, I really appreciate appreciate being on you all's platform. This is the first financial podcast I literally ever listened to in my entire life. I used to just listen to sports shows and wow. like pop culture stuff until I came across this podcast about two years ago. So, um, But me, I'm a home ownership advocate. Um, my nine to five is I'm an underwriter. I've been a loan officer as well. And I just try to preach the benefits of home, of home ownership. However folks want to take them, that's on them. But I put out a lot of content on my IG page. Poison Culture, and also have a, a podcast and YouTube channel where I go a little bit more in depth on the benefits of home ownership. But my thing is, I try to preach guidelines and put out facts to folks and uh, encourage folks to do what I think they should do, but ultimately, the uh, the application action is on, on them to execute. Cool, cool, cool. What's up, Charles? What's going on in our capital world? You're mute, Charles. <clears throat> So, yeah, we got the towel going on in the house. So the house is on the final stretch, man. It's starting to look real, real nice in there, which is cool because if you look at like the before and after pictures, after pictures what we do with the outside of the house compared to what it looks like now, they're really going to be blown away when we do uh, the inside. And so what's really interesting about this, uh, this house and where it's situated is it's in what an area of Detroit called the North End, very, very close to Wayne State University, very, very close to downtown Detroit, very, very close. So close to... I've been thinking about trying to keep it myself. It's very close to downtown Detroit. And uh, you can just, just take the streets to get there. It takes like five minutes. Um, but what's interesting is there's a very high-end area of Detroit called uh, Boston Edison. Homes in Boston Edison sell for like 500, 700, maybe even more, but they're huge homes. It's a very established neighborhood. And so I was like, you know what? What's stopping me from just pricing my stuff uh, in terms of Boston Edison? I'm going to just call it Boston Edison adjacent. Like, <laughs> check out this Boston Edison adjacent <laughs> home. And I could just push the comps even higher. So, I mean, the comps are gone way higher from when we first were looking at the ARV. When I first bought the property, bought it for 70 grand. They're saying the ARV was like 
230 because the house next door sold for like 230 240 and then the house around the corner like six months later went on sale for like 330 um and so i've also seen homes that were like half my size that actually have closed at like 270 so the comps are getting a lot higher which is really cool to see because i'm essentially getting paid to wait right now so as i'm finishing this process the property is still appreciating which is really cool a lot of times you have that arv and it's just a static arv but it's like the market changes and sometimes it's changing in your favor. And I think that Dave will actually be able to shed some light on this because I think that a lot of people are saying like housing market crash, stock market, or real estate's going to crash. But my theory is that all not all markets are created equal. Not all markets were overvalued. So there were some markets that were heavily overvalued. Dallas, Atlanta, Georgia, Southern California, like those markets might see a correction uh, due to like maybe interest rates or just a change in consumer spending. But you still have markets that are still undervalued. So that rule isn't true across the board. Every market is different. And so the numbers are going to look different and the projections are going to look different, which is why when sometimes people get online and start talking about real estate, it'd be kind of pissed me off because some people will say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't buy a house. I'll just rent. You live in Alabama. Maybe that makes sense. But if you live in Southern California and you decide to rent, you're just going to be getting raped. And then if you do live in Southern California and you and you choose to own, now you're going to get so much opportunity just in the appreciation. So um, real estate is still where I'm at. And I like real estate. I like the stock market, but real estate is just so much more predictable. Um, it moves slower. It's less liquid stocks. It, it can be tricky. So I do a combination of both. But, yeah, that's what's going on over here. Yeah, if I, I could jump in real quick. So I think it was interesting what you said. I'm not sure if you said it in jest or not, but like renaming the neighborhood. But th that's what a lot of realtors do. You know, a, a location may have like a bad stigma or a bad name to it. Realtors would just come in and just rename the neighborhood like, you know, um, Dumbo out in, in Brooklyn. They just, you know, directly under with Manhattan Bridge overpass. They just made that name up. And now it's million dollar homes out there. They'll just rename the neighborhood because it has a bad stigma. But, yeah, they do that in, in like every every city. You know, once things start to turn or they're about to turn to uh, to get rid of that that bad stigma with the old, old neighborhood. But. Yeah, as far as like home prices in general, obviously no one can predict the future, but we can use the data and numbers from the past to inform our decisions going forward. And so like since 2012, basically the last 10 years, home prices have actually only dropped one year. And that was from 2018 to 2019. And that drop was, I think it was like from 385000 to $384,000. Like, so literally less than a 1% drop is the only time home prices have actually dropped in the last 10 years. So really, honestly, no matter what like rates are doing, like home prices go up. I mean, folks need a place to live. It's cliche, but you know, they're not making any more land. It's a supply and demand thing. Like sometimes folks look back at it and say, hey, a recession's coming, but a recession actually has no impact on home prices as well. Like three of the last five recessions, home prices have actually gone up. And you know, the the one that it, the one of the two went down was you know 2008, and that recession was literally due to the housing crisis. And so, I mean, if you look at any chart, the home home values look just like the S and P 500. There are dips here and there, but ultimately they're going up. So, I mean, as long as your plan is not to sit on a home for like six months and then hopefully you're, you're expecting it to appreciate and and you know go up in value, I mean, you're you're going to win in the long run uh, as far as staying in a in a home. It's kind of my thoughts as far as what any market is going to do in, in general. So Dave, I, you, you're in New York. No, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in Dallas. Would you say Dallas is an overvalued market? So 
value is obviously worth some what somebody will pay for. And so homes in Dallas are still cheaper than a lot of major cities. And so folks feel that they can come to Dallas and get more for their money than they can somewhere else. And so people will still pay prices, will still pay, you know, exorbitant prices for homes. And so as long as someone's paying for that home, it's, it's technically not not overvalued. So I mean, every, folks will like look at Zillow and be like, oh, I saw a home under go down, be marked down. And they think like the somehow the market is, is crashing. F folks, what I, what I kind of see in my end is folks are just kind of doing like Hail Mary pricing. It's like, hey, I think my home is worth $400,000, but let me see if I can throw 420 up there and see if I can get it. And so overall, I mean, I don't think Dallas is, is overvalued in my opinion, because folks, there's still more folks moving here than there are houses. If you know, just kind of the simple basic economic supply and demand. So the supply is less than demand. So home prices, worst case scenario, will stable out. They're probably still increased slightly, but obviously nowhere near what was going on the last the last year or two of like 20, 30 percent increase increases in certain markets, Dallas included. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I asked because you were talking about the Dumbo and stuff in New York, because that's really true. That's what they did. They took these quote unquote bad neighborhoods, they mm -hmm. moved in, bought them up, changed the name. It was like Soho and Dumbo, yeah. and they just made these names up, man. Yeah. They're doing that in LA right now. Interestingly enough, I did a podcast a long time ago with Al Harrington. Al Harrington was on Bigger Pockets. A lot of folks don't know who Al Harrington is, but the dude is a beast. And one of the things that he said is when you're trying to change a community, you got to change the name. Mm -hmm. You got to change the name. And I think that's so true just in general. If you're trying to change your life, you might need to change your name. Sure, if true you've story. been living true 25 years as DeMarcus and DeMarcus ain't paid off, <laughs> you might need to change your name to D-Millionaire or D-Money <laughs> or D-Wealth and start operating that space. Um, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because like a lot of kids are named after their fathers which is cool if your dad gave you a name to live up to, but you running around with a name that you don't really like value. It's like, might have to change your name. Um, you know, they ain't, they ain't going to like it. You're not going <laughs> to like it. I'm not saying my dad definitely did his job, but like, I know he feels the kind of way when people call me Todd. <laughs> Cause he's like, I named you Charles after Charles, who's named after Charles. And so it's like, when people call me Todd, he'd be like, oh, who, who's Todd? Who's Todd? Right. I know we've touched on this before, but what do you think changing your name? Well, you didn't literally change your name, but calling yourself right. Todd Millionaire. What did? What do you think that really did for you? It does a few things. I've talked about this before. The first thing it does is it reconditions you. You start looking at things differently. You start operating differently. Like no matter where I go, no matter how they treat me, I always feel like I'm the man. I always feel like I deserve to be there. If I'm at the Rolls Royce dealership, wherever I'm at, I don't care. I feel like I deserve to be there. Um, and then what the other thing it really does for you is it changes what other people call you. Um, and this is important because other people won't be calling you Todd Millie, Todd Billy, Todd this, Todd that. And words matter. The words that people speak matter. And this is why I'm very big on not saying the N word, not calling nobody the N word, not calling nobody the B word. Because what happens is you end up speaking it into existence. Other cultures know this, Raphael. Other mm -hmm. coaches know this, and that's why they give their kids names that have a meaning. You'll be hard-pressed to go to another culture, and they got a name that they just pulled out their ass. Like, no, they thought about that name. They prayed about that name. They made sure that that name is going to be a prophecy over that person's life so that then they walk different, but everybody calls you different things. And as much as we like to say, like, you determine your worth, in a lot of ways, like, what people call you determines your worth. 
And so if you're in the space that you don't agree with what they're calling you, you need to get about that space. I like mm-hmm. that when I was working a job, I didn't feel like they saw my worth. But on the Internet, I was that dude. Mm-hmm. In my community, I'm that dude. In my family, I'm that dude. And I was like sensing a disconnect. I was like, this doesn't make any sense because like everybody in my family knows I'm that dude. They know that I'm the one who actually accomplished something and went to college, got married, had a kid, all that stuff, bought a house. But at the job, they be treating me like I'm DeMarcus. And so, <laughs> and so it's like, I got to get out of that environment. You got to get out of environments that don't call you what you want to be called because that matters. So on, on one hand, it's like, yes, I'm calling myself this. I'm professing this over my life. I'm focusing towards these things. On the other hand, everybody else calls me that too. Because that's all they know. They don't even know who I was or who I am. All they know is what I said I am. Right. And your family, they know you as, well, I don't know what they called you when you were young. You don't have to share that. But your family might know you as Charlie or Chuck or Chucky or, or whatever. They, 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 they still see you as this seven-year-old kid running around in shorts and no shirt, playing with mud in the backyard. So it's hard for them to like start calling you. Todd millionaires like who are you? You change your diapers when he was a kid, man, or whatever. You know, I think like on that note, you know, a lot of times folks are shaped by their environment. I mean, a lot of times what you see growing up is what you want to be growing up. So I think yeah, hearing that you know Millie or you know Billy right now, you know, it kind of changes your mindset as well. If somebody's always calling you that, it's in your head, and hopefully you're trying to live up to that that goal, whatever name you've you've uh, you've kind of named yourself as. So step one, name yourself. The step two is actually take action on that that uh that name that you call yourself as well so 100 yep 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 so charles you had a tweet man you said the only thing you have to do to liberate your family for this is an old one by the way i dug up the only thing you have to do to liberate your family forever is to eliminate your housing expense mm, man that is so true when you don't have a housing expense you walk different i gotta make that uh, the post it's like the usher it was, it was ray j it's like you walk different when you don't got a housing expense. The housing expense is the biggest burden on so many people. But I think what's really cool is I'm finding that you can get there a lot of different ways. I used to think I had to cash flow myself out of um, the housing expense. And what I mean by that is I thought I had to either buy a bunch of rental properties and cash flows into it, or I had to house hack and cash flow into it. And I did it different. The way that I did it is I accumulated a decent sum of money. And then I bought some consistent dividend paying stocks. Now, for me, the reason why I like it is because I've been dealing with a lot of very inconsistent tenants and my bills ain't inconsistent. The bill wants to get paid. My, they might think their bills are optional, but my bills ain't optional. <laughs> my bills got to get paid. And one thing I know about them dividends is they going to come. They going to come. They always come. They don't care how big the check is. They're like, oh, five thousand dollars here. Here's your dividend, sir. And so I never had to debate with the dividend company. I never got to do anything. I don't even got to show up. I don't got to answer no phone calls late at night. I don't got to be going back and forth with you about what you think is right. No repairs, no, none of that stuff. And so my, my inspiration for people is to get it how you live, get it how you can get it using your expertise. It might come through business. It might come through vending machines. It might come through tour. It might come through trucking. It might come through house hacking. I'm a huge proponent of house hacking. The problem is I got a bougie wife and bougie wives don't want to share space with people. And so you got to figure out a way. But I just think that, man, 
the reason why I always know I'm good. I at the worst case, I always know I, I'm good. I, I might not be able to go buy Gucci. I might not be able to go go to get an expensive dinner. I might not be able to buy an expensive car, but I know that housing expense is taken care of. And it's not much you can shake for me because one of the worst experiences of my life was when I was working a job. I had a great high-end luxury apartment in downtown LA and the job decided they ain't want me no more. And at that morning, point in time, everything comes into question. Now, where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? But most importantly, where am I going to live? That was my main concern. Like, I figure out how to, how to eat. It's a lot easier to find a, find a meal than it is to find a place to live. Because finding a place to live, especially in these places, if it was that easy, everybody would own a home. Everybody would be living their, their best lives. A lot of people are doing things that they don't really, really want to do. Also, I've had to go back home a few times. So I've had to like, as a working professional, as somebody in law school, in all these different things, I had to go back home to, to do different things. And I never wanted to feel that pain again. And so that was one of the very first things that I did. I got the house. I created the income to pay for the house. And now I never have to worry about that ever again. I never got to worry about being homeless. And the great thing about it is while my dividends are paying my mortgage, the property is still appreciating in value. And so I think that's amazing. And one thing that I also say is like, I never really see a mortgage payment as a loss. It's like an investment. Even if I got to pay interest on that investment, all investments ain't free. Sometimes you got to pay the cost to participate. And for a mortgage or for a house that's going to appreciate substantially, that mortgage is a mortgage expense. And so a lot of people, they're like always looking for something for free. They're like, I'm not going to be buying a house unless interest rates are low. I'm not going to be doing this unless... I can get a, a crazy deal because I don't want to be paying for maintenance and repairs. But some things, the expense is worth it. And I would say that the housing expense, the expense is definitely worth it. What you say, Dave? Yeah, yeah just co-signing that. I was actually walking my dog this morning. And um, about five minutes from me, they're building these apartment buildings. And so, uh, like, last week, I went in there to see what the rent was in the apartments. So I, I live in – I'm in here right now. I'm in a, a three-bedroom, uh, three-bathroom home. My mortgage is $1,000 less than these apartments that are uh, – for, for, like, the same three-bedroom apartment that are, like, less than a five-minute walk from my house. And so just a big thing about home ownership is you can solidify, like, your living expense. Um, you know, one thing, when I, when, I, when I bought my first house, I house hacked it by accident. But one thing I wish I knew is, you know, simple stuff like house hacking, you know, using three and a half percent down FHA to buy a multifamily property and have your your folks cover or your excuse me, your tenants cover the rent. But uh, yeah, I mean, the only reason I go to work is because I have a, have a mortgage. Literally, if I didn't have a mortgage, I, I'd be able probably to um, at least maintain my my basic lifestyle. I have a, a wife, too. So I don't know if she put up with that. I mean, not going to work. But, I, mean, I mean, your your mortgage is for. <laughs> For I don't know, 90% of people, that's the reason you go to work. It's because you have to pay the mortgage. So you get into this wild cycle where it's like, you know, you you want to be with the ones you love in this great house, but you gotta, you know, go to work, you know, leave the house nine, ten hours a day to go pay the mortgage, to get money to pay the mortgage in this house. So yeah, if you can eliminate that that living expense, that is that is key. And so like you you hear about house hacking. I mean, you can use a you can do the multifamily route. In my experience, I've always done like a single family route. I think a lot of folks sleep on the fact that you can just house hack a two bedroom condo like I did. I mean, you won't be living, you know, quote unquote, you know, rent free. But I mean, if it if it costs, you know, I don't know, fifteen hundred dollars to to live in a certain area and your tenants paying a thousand dollars of it, you're, you're winning. That's a thousand dollars you can put towards investing mm -hmm. in your eventual financial 
freedom as, as well. So yeah, that, that, that living space is probably why everyone that has a job um, has, that's listening to this podcast has a job to, to pay for that apartment or that, that home. Yeah, one of my favorite books, The Richest Man in Babylon. I read it when I was younger and then I reread it and he talks about owning a home. And I didn't catch it the first time I read it, but the second time I read it, or the third time I read it, I was like, that's gems. And he talks about how like the man who owns his own home puts more effort behind his work. Yeah. And I was like, that's so true. Cause like when you own it, and this is why a lot of people who might not think they can be a homeowner don't hop into home ownership because they don't realize that like the home ownership grind comes after you own the home. Mm -hmm. The fatherhood grind comes after you have a child. Like you can't, grind like a dad until you are a dad you can't grind like a homeowner until you got them property taxes and them property taxes is due and so like everything that you want is on the other side of what you're afraid of and the grind and the ambition is going to rise to the level of your circumstances so you got to put yourself in some dope circumstances um another thing i was going to say is um that the the whole house hacking sharing a single family house that's what i had planned to do that's what my uh-huh. stepdad did. I thought it was the most genius thing ever. When uh, him and my mom got married, which was in 2000, um, he what he did is because we were from San Diego. And so San Diego, very expensive to live. And so what he did is he moved an hour north, which is where we all kind of reside now. He, he moved an hour north to like the mm-hmm. Temecula area. He bought a house for like 130. And he... I want to say it was in his 30s and he had two roommates and those roommates pay for his housing expense. Mm-hmm. And in turn, he was able to put a jacuzzi in the backyard. Just this super just had cash. And I was like, that's how I'm going to do it. Like if you are single and you can't buy a house, you need to house hack. Why? Yeah. Because if you are single, you probably got a roommate in that apartment that you live in. in. Exactly. A lot roommate. of folks think they're, they're too cool to have a roommate. Because like I said, you, you're either in an apartment or you're in a sharing with another person or you're just in an apartment sharing a wall with somebody else. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, sharing a wall, that's a bar right there. You didn't. Yeah, I mean, even in your early you got a roommate. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> in, your, in your early 20s, that's the time to sacrifice. Like the, the 30-year-old you would thank you very much if you just house hack, you know, sacrifice with a roommate for three to five years, that, that's really all you need to, to do there. And um, I think you mentioned as well, like you moved back home with your parents. I mean, that's, once again, folks that have too much pride to move home with their parents. That, that's one mistake I made uh, when I first got out the Navy was like, and I, I got a job back in, in uh, Maryland. My folks were like, hey, you can come live with me. And I was like, no, nah, I gotta be, you know, that, that's kind of corny, you know, I'm 25, you know, I've been living on my own for the last five years. I don't wanna live with my folks. But I paid $1,400 in rent for, an entire year, so that's what four, four two six, like sixteen thousand um, dollars. I spent just to live in a place so I could, I could seem seem cool to, to other folks. Like, but, you know, that's sixteen thousand dollars that you know I'll never get back when I could have just stayed at home for a year with my family um, and saved that money. Just so, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be cool in my own place. Speaking of staying home, y'all, somebody posted a tweet. Well, I posted a tweet. Somebody responded to the tweet. And my tweet said something about it was a long tweet I posted a long time ago. And it was about like group economics, something like that. And um, his response was like, yeah, man, immigrants, what they'll do is they'll get up in one house all under one roof and each person will buy a house. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. The problem is we do that. We get up under one roof. You know, what we do. We take trips. When we buy beamers. And so we got to think the bigger picture. You are in a great place too. And I made this, I, honestly, like 
when I was in that position, I, I always I, the only time I went home was when I was not able to work because I was pursuing an, an, an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So law school or when I went back right before I was getting out of college because like I lived out of I lived on my own. And then I went back that last year of college to kind of like save some money to get ready to go out of college. But that living at home is a hack as well. But we got to be intelligent with our opportunities. And a lot of folks out there saying they ain't getting no opportunities, saying folks holding us back and they get opportunity and they shit on it. A lot of folks got stimulus checks and shit on it. Mm-hmm. But some smart folks got stimulus checks and they ran it up. So yeah. there are no lack of opportunities. There's a lack of opportunists. You need to be an opportunist. Mm. You need to be looking to capitalize on what's being given to you as opposed to just doing it for the gram, man, because the gram is played now. You can't even get no likes on the pics. So what you doing it for now? <laughs> you're taking all the trips and you can't even get no likes or no views. <laughs> now you just got to just buckle down and get it. And there are people that take fake trips and just take take the pictures. They'll be in a, 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 a fake jet or fake <laughs> background, you know, so they're getting the same amount of likes as you are. And you spent the the two thousand dollars to go somewhere, so they got and they got the same number like she did. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see that? Um, the Instagram reel with the guy that fake pretended to hop off the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah like the door wasn't even open, fam. It looked like a glitch. So <laughs> <laughs> either gonna be the, the luggage or the bug, the, the, the bag or the luggage, or something like that, and walked off, and everybody's like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> But he got, I think he went viral. I don't know if that was a good thing or not, but he got seen. Yeah. So, Dave, tell, <laughs> tell the people, um, the name, you say you had a podcast. Tell, tell the people the name of the show. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't even say that. So, the podcast is the podcast slash YouTube channel was House Rich, the millennial real estate show. So, one of the reasons I make it, so like on my, on my Instagram account, I put out a lot of content, but they're short, like they used to be 30, now I could do like 60 second reels breaking down mortgage topics, but there's only so much you can cover in 60 seconds on, on right. IG. So I was like, hey, you know, I want to be able to put out more long form content. So like every week I'll break down like a mortgage topic or an, an actual guideline. So like the difference we made a lot of folks actually have read mortgage guidelines. So I'm able to actually uh, talk about those in depth and not just like high level uh, fluff, which is a lot of stuff you see online. And so like if we we're talking about an episode on house hacking, so I'll talk about you know, different loan types. I'll talk about the FHA, FHA self-sufficiency test. I'll go, I'll do like a 10 minute video on house hacking, which is, which is a lot more valuable than like, like a 30 second post for somebody who says, Hey, buy a home, live rent free, which seems to be a lot of the content out there. Then also, um, so I do that one, one day of the week. And then uh, another day I'll interview like somebody in a real estate adjacent like topic. So like I really, I interview somebody about Airbnb, some, somebody about, you know, maids cleaning homes, somebody about buying land in the metaverse. So something that somebody can maybe pick up like a side hustle from it. So like I said, just trying to put out actual good content to empower people to actually execute. So eliminating excuses from folks that say, hey, I didn't know that or I, I didn't know that or um, how, how do I do this? So to do it, just go to my podcast, go to my YouTube channel and there is the answer for you. We got Brandy in the building. Shout out to Brandy. Yep. Shout out to Terry the Notary. Man, Terry supports everything that we drop on this channel even if he doesn't catch it live he always catches it in comments so we appreciate you brother um also saw sam in here from black real estate dialogue and uh chris from the mastermind and also shout out to the mastermind you guys show up every morning bringing that good energy setting the tone so i'm seeing some really really cool things from everybody who's participating in the mastermind so um yeah what you got for him Raphael? shout out to sam from black real estate dialogue 
congrats on the marriage again. You gonna hit me up like you've been telling him congrats on that marriage for like years. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that just remind you guys to follow us on Twitter, man. Follow myself, Raphael at Work Money Life on Twitter. Follow Charles at Real Todd Billion on Twitter, and follow Dave on Twitter at Coins and Culture. That's Coins, the letter N, and Culture. Coins and Culture. So, Dave, you had a tweet, like just following along with the previous tweet we we're talking about. You say you cannot be pro generational wealth and also pro my children need to leave home at whatever age. Rent and mortgage is most people's largest expense. Why would you have them pay that to a stranger? Mm. Yeah, so like I said, I don't, I don't, like, I don't get the the pro. You know, it's like generational wealth is just like a catchphrase, folks. They're out there just the same cool and they get likes, but like your actions don't say you're pro generational wealth. Like if you're saying that, hey, um, at 18, like or whatever arbitrary age folks seem to pick, is like my my son needs to hit the get out the house at 18 or 21. Like what what is that doing for anybody? And like what happens at 18 that's not true at 19 years old in 364 days? Like what, literally, what is the difference between those two things? And so a lot of times folks will say, well, they need to earn their keep or they need to do this or that. Well, have your have your son or daughter pay you rent and put that money invested. And at the end of 12 months, um, now they have a down payment for a home. And so like I'm, I'm not saying have your kids sit there, live from 18 to, to 30 or whatever and just do nothing. But like there are different ways to get around it. But like keep that money in the family if possible. Like I said, have your have your children just give the money to you and you you invest or do something. But the whole concept of, hey, I struggled when I was 18. I had to hit the road at 18. Now my son needs to do it. What sense does that make? Because you you may be struggling now because your parents did that to you. They're still I mean, struggling. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what, that's what I'm saying. You that's started out struggling. Like, you didn't get out the struggle. you still struggling. Yeah, and at and, your and, big age. And so, like, so you do, we just get you just get into this this cycle where it's like, hey, you couldn't build wealth. Now your kid could build wealth, but they were literally with you the day before. And so somehow you were making it work the day before, but now they got to go hit the road and, and figure things out on their own. It just, it just doesn't really make any sense to me. Like I, I never understood, like I never understood that, hey, it's 18. Now here goes your birthday cake, uh, you know, hit the, hit the road or 21. Um, like I, it, it, it just, I just never connect the dots with me. It just doesn't make any sense um, as far as the, the reasoning behind that. Individual independent culture we we do it to a fault i think that some things that we take from other cultures we do them to a fault um one of them being feminism we do that to a fault like folks were feminists but they still stayed married we took feminists and we just ran with it <laughs> independence we do that to a fault independence might be a good thing but we took it and ran with it and we started alienating children separating the household doing all that stuff talking about their strong independence something who don't need no nothing and I think that what you said that was really important is two things. Firstly, that I think a lot of people, a lot of parents, the reason why they 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 play that off on their kids and they say, oh, you need to go out there and figure it out, isn't by choice. If they had an abundance of resources, they would be able to help. But a lot of them disguise it as I'm letting you grow up. And really, it's like, I can't afford you, fam. I'm sure. sorry. I can't do it. And then the other thing is that um, keeping the family together helps not just the kids, but also helps the parents. But a lot of times parents won't admit that they need help. And so they will kick you out, even though you could be contributing to upkeep on the household, contributing to whatever, just helping kind of take the brunt of things off the household. And so they'll actually make it difficult on themselves by making it difficult on you. 
and I've seen this happen a lot as dads get older, and it's sad, man. The dads who played their kids, they get older, and you know what? That's all you got is your kids. And now you don't even have them because you played them from the age 18 on. And so I think that everybody has to realize that everybody needs everybody. In other communities, they realize that like the old people need the young people just as much as the young people need the old people. Young people have energy. They have ideas. They have ambition. Old people have wisdom and resources. You pair those two together, and now you got a billion-dollar company. That's the reason why you see Bezos getting help from his parents, not because they just wanted to do something nice. That was a damn good investment. (laughs) It was a good investing in your kids is a great investment. It's not an obligation. It's not a mistake. It's not an L like, no, they gave him two hundred thousand dollars and they turned it into probably a billion. They probably are billionaires off of their investment in their son. And if not billionaires, multi, multi, multi. And so. We got to stop. It just doesn't make any sense because what happens is you throw your kid out to the wolves and what do the wolves got for him? Nothing. It's like if you don't have a plan for your life, somebody else has a plan for you and it's not much. Right. So you throw your kids out to the community, they, they ain't helping them build no wealth. They, they putting them right under their foot and using them to their advantage and underpaying them and disrespecting them in the process. Here, here's the part that folks don't want to admit. So let, let's say you, you pick this arbitrary age 18 to, to send your, your kids out um, to the street. If they're not ready by 18, that's the parents' fault, like not theirs. If they're not ready by 21, that's the parents' fault. So I mean, you, you can have this arbitrary age, but you need to get your kid ready to do do something, like whether it's a job, whether it's go to college. Like you need to get your kid ready to do something. It's not just, it, it's not just hey, uh, you know, you got a year to get ready. Like it's the parents' job to get their kid ready. And my, here's the, I, don't, I don't have any kids, I'll throw it out there, but my opinion, if the kid's not ready by 18 or whatever, it's the kid's, it's the parent's fault. And so like the parent needs to put together a plan to help the kid be ready by 18 or 21 or whatever arbitrary age they, they make up if, that, if that's how they feel they want to do things. If, if, if you as a parent aren't in a place that you want to be, you might need your kid's help. Um, I was going to talk about how like in both those firms that I worked in, the law firm that I worked in, it was a dad and son combination. The um, construction company that I worked in, there was also a family office. It was a father and son combination. And so like that's the hack. It's not kicking them out to go work for somebody else. It's figuring out a way for you guys to work together. I tell people all the time, like, man, if my dad helped me do this real estate stuff, I'll be untouchable. Untouchable. In fact, if you look at Lamont Woods, the dude owns like 100 homes. It's a father and son combination, black father and son. The black father has the skills. The young son has the, the mindset and the wisdom. You need them both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Dave, explain to people. Tell us a little bit more about your background. You are a mortgage professional, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, I, I work in, in underwriting. So I, I was a loan officer for about five years. So basically, a loan officer is the, the tip of the spear in the mortgage process. They're a essentially a salesperson. They should have a at least a basic understanding of the mortgage guidelines. Um, but I currently work in underwriting, which the underwriters like the expert in mortgage guidelines. They're like the the the, la- the last line of defense as far as making sure everything's good to go and making sure that borrower is is credit worthy when it comes to buying a home. Really, the big difference is a loan officer, is a salesperson, a underwriter is is deep in the guidelines. So when I was a loan officer, in order to be good at your job, you have to you should understand like the mortgage guidelines. And so the reason I made the transition is just I, I uh, 
<laughs> I hate, I, I just got to the point where I, I was just so annoyed with people and trying to convince them what I knew was right in black and white. It's like, you're arguing with me about something that is literally in the mortgage guidelines. And you're arguing, you're arguing with me about something that you heard your friend who works at Target tell you. And I'm reading the mortgage <laughs> guidelines. You're trying to tell me like, like what's right. And so um, I got an opportunity to, to, to work from home as a mortgage underwriter. And I, I kind of um, transitioned to, to there. But uh, yeah, I, I consider myself an expert when it comes to understanding the ins and outs of the, the mortgage guidelines, which kind of helps me with my, my social platforms and a lot of the stuff that I, that I do now. How were you able to get that interview with Jay-Z, man? With, with Jay-Z? Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. Oh, so he's, he's talking. So I, I found this. It's, it's funny. So I found this this clip online where Cameron is talking about um, Jay-Z used to live in a duplex. And so I, I turned that in. Just, I turned that into like this this interview where I talked about Jay-Z was, Jay-Z was house hacking. Um, which I which I thought was pretty obviously a, a tongue in cheek thing because I'm holding like a a spatula in my hand um, when I'm doing the interview. Um, but but the wild thing about that is so many people DM me talking about you're wrong. Jay Z didn't wasn't house hacking. Blah blah blah. And I'm just like, you're right, dude. Like you're, it's just like come, come on now, y'all y'all can't y'all can't tell that I'm joking about that that concept. But I, I think it was cool just to kind of turn that interview into um, just content where, fo- where folks ask about you know what is house hacking. And what is this and that? Like that's and that's how I try to do my content. I turn what I think is a a boring topic, which is mortgage guidelines, which is why a lot of people don't know about them, or read about them. And I try to put a little bit of a little bit of flavor or season on them so that I can draw folks in them and draw folks in and actually educate them on uh, on the home buying process because you know that that's the cornerstone of of generational wealth. There. Yeah, man. Yeah, I remember that um, post you had? That was cool. I that was, was funny. funny. You do a lot of funny funny stuff. That's also information. We do have a question from Brandy, though, and I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, uh, what do y'all think about the massive evictions happening? I'm sure you guys saw that post on Black Millionaires. I want to say an entire complex of families got evicted. They said they got 60 wow. days to get out. It was like 200 that. families. Predominantly uh, African-American. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, is this the beginning of things to come? And also, I mean, what's the response to that immediate just like post? So, so I, I didn't I didn't see that post, but I'll kind of comment on, on just the the housing market in general, and just like I just like to deal with with data and numbers. And so, um, the last numbers I saw were from April to May. And as far as home ownership, I know that renting is, is different, but home ownership and delinquencies, they're actually they've decreased the last three months down to I think it's like two and a half percent nationwide is what like the number of delinquencies are. And actually from April, April to May, foreclosures actually dropped 12% as well to below pre-pandemic levels. So as far as from a home ownership standpoint, and you know, people thinking people are going to default on in mortgages, things are actually better than the media makes them out to be. So like I said, I didn't see this policy seems unfortunate for those 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 families there. But I will say this, um, I assume the eviction did not come out of nowhere. So I mean it, it's it's something to to know when you're in, you, you you never know. Like like uh, like Charles says, you you got to have more than one stream of income. I mean, I'm sure folks either unfortunately did not have jobs or lost their jobs and maybe couldn't maybe couldn't afford to pay uh, the rent or whatever. But like say when you're renting, someone else controls your future. Even if you are paying your rent, they could say, "Hey, I'm going we're going up on the prices and um, either pay it or, or or see you later." Unfortunately, so that that's another right. benefit of home ownership is you get to control where you want to live. The so problem Brandy with says, me, um, what were you going to say? 
No, I was just looking at the, the comment. Brandy was saying that was an ATL, but there's another one happening in VA where they have 48 hours to leave. I don't know if that's legal 48 hours. I don't know. That's the problem with me is um, one of my close family members, they, they came to me and they were just like spilling all their problems. And my response was, firstly, you got to change and then they'll change. And also you need to get up and work. I was like, I've been working. I was telling my mom this yesterday. I didn't just start working three jobs. I started working three jobs when I was in college. When I was in college at 22, I had a full-time job and two internships. And then I went to law school. And once I got to the end of law school, I had a full-time job, a part-time job, and I think like another part-time job in the library, just like checking out books or whatever and just like studying. I've always had multiple jobs. And so my, my problem is, I only know how to respond to your problems with accountability and work. So you come to me and you tell me that you got evicted. Like, well, what did you not do? Mm. I'm not trying to get the landlord to be nice to you. I'm not trying to get the landlord to let you stay. I'm wondering why when homes are selling in that community for $50,000, $100,000, you didn't buy one. I'm wondering why you aren't working with the people in that community to figure out how you guys can pull resources and buy your own damn apartment complex. I don't care about your problems. All I care about is your accountability. Why? Because nobody respects nobody like that. You might think that they respect you getting online, telling your sob story, getting on the news, and they're just looking at you like, these people are some pussies. They're literally looking at you like, man, that's some weak-ass shit. Shout out to Black Business Click for the $4.99 sticker and super chat. Make sure you guys support us in the super chat, man. Everything that you guys invest in us, we get back to you. And so that might seem mean and hard, but I told my family member the same exact thing. I don't have no easy path. I don't have no sympathy. You come to me, you tell me your sob story. I'm not going to be like, oh, that's so sad. Let's cry together. No. Figure out a way that you can get it. And you can. The problem is you drinking and watching Netflix. So don't bring me your problems if you're drinking and watching Netflix. I had another family member who came to me and he brought me this, this sob story. The dude watches every season of every show multiple times over. I have no sympathy for you. I don't got it. And you don't want it. You don't want sympathy because sympathy looks like a $1,200 check. Sympathy looks like somebody <laughs> cutting out $10,000 with your student loans. You got $100,000 with the student loans. I'd rather you build a business, make a million dollars and pay off that $100,000 easy. I don't got it for you. And you don't want it. The true power comes in your, account- in your accountability. You saying, oh, Y'all want to evict me for show? We're going to show you. Put that chip on your shoulder and link up and say, F you, man. We don't need you. We're going to actually put you out of business. But we're not going to put you out of business through protest. We're going to put you out of business through collective economics. That's how we're going to do it. And we're going to make sure that anybody who thinks they can come in this community and just push us around is going to get a big middle finger because we own and we control this through money, not through aggression, not through violence, not through pro, not through begging Bernie Sanders. <laughs> that's what I want for our community. I want for our community to rise up and be equal, not to consistently be under somebody's thumb because it's not just white folks who are keeping you under their thumb. It's every single community. Why? Not because of them, but because the approach that we're taking, the approach that we're taking, I would honestly think that, and I know if you collectively put all that money that they got together, they could buy whatever they want. Mm-hmm. They own it. They control it. It's going to take some work. But now, what do you have? Your kids will never have that issue again because you guys own and control something. It frustrates me to see these things and then people expect me to be just like, oh, poor baby, they shouldn't have done that. 
you got to always move like they can do that. That's why mm. I made sure that my dividends take care of my mortgage because I approach every job as if they could let me go at a split second. And I'm going to never let you have that control over me. I never forget. We went to um, we went to the to the lake. Also, shout out to Terry, the notary for another five dollar super chat. He said he believes super in hard work. Really go straight forward. But we went to the um, we went to um, the lake about a month ago and they had some jet skis there. They're like, we're renting jet skis. And so they went out on the jet skis. and We just sitting on the beach, just like waiting for them to get the jet skis back, bring their jet skis back so we can ride them, too. I was like, uh, I'm going to just go get a boat. And so I went and I rented a boat. And then like somebody had like a comment like, oh, you're always flashing your money. And like it kind of like triggered on me. I was like, I, I never wanted to be at the women, nobody. So it might be rude. It might seem rude, but like there's just I just have this mental thing. I can't do it, man. I cannot allow my happiness, my progress to be at the whim of another human being who gets to dictate what I can do, when I can do it, how I can do it. And that's why I got the money. I didn't get the money to buy Gucci. I got the money to have the power and control of my own life. And that's what our people need to be doing is getting the power and control over our own life. I don't want none. of I don't. It's, it's embarrassing to me. It's embarrassing to me. Why? Because when they see me, they see all of us. They don't just say like, oh, those are black people in New York. No, that reflects us all. They that reflects us all. And so therefore, that issue should probably be an issue that we're all trying to solve, not just issue that they're stuck there trying to solve. And so. When I saw it, that was my response. My response is always go out and get it. Go out and build it. We got Dre in the chat. Shout out to Dre. Um, yep. That's just my perspective. I mean, when I didn't, I did not see that post, but just when she said, "Ask, what do you all think about the massive evictions?" It's just like chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have common sense, man. When the government put uh, moratoriums on paying rent, like you gotta know. That sooner or later the bill was gonna come due, man. You can't just yeah, yeah, stop yeah. paying rent. Yeah, true story. Like folks, like and the other side of the coin is some folks just didn't pay rent for, for like a year or two years. And the landlords had to foot that bill, which is the, the other side of the coin, the people that own property. And so I, to me, I don't know the, the like I said, just in general, the, like if you if you didn't pay rent for like a year or so, like you should have done something with that money. So when when it comes time to pay the piper, you can either pay them or hopefully you invested or do something, but um, like I say, it's an unfortunate situation, but I don't think it came out of, out of nowhere. Um, but I also haven't read the article either. So that's just my thoughts. It's bizarre stuff, man. I just so, want better for my people, man. I want better for my people. And I don't, and, that, and that's the thing is like, I'll say things like that and people will think I don't care. And it's like, why is me wanting power and control for you? like not nice as opposed to me just like saying oh poor baby the same thing happened with um this is I, we were talking about this in the last episode like some of us see problems as a reason to wallow and some of us see problems as a reason to just boss up i'm the boss up type we ran through a recession i'm a boss up we run through covid i'm a boss up the only response is to boss up the the response is never to hide in the house I'm not hiding in no house. I'm not hiding from no COVID. I'm not hiding from nothing. I'm not hiding from the recession. F the recession. I'm going to kick it in his face. I'm going to make more money in a recession than I'm going to make in a regular situation. And if we don't get a recession, I'm going to still make money because I'm not going to stop. Worst case scenario, I'm going to have to grind and work three jobs. But before I do that, I'm I'm going to do everything that I can in my power before I hand over my power to somebody else. Hmm. 
And Charles, you had a tweet because, you know, people have been talking. I've been hearing, especially through um, Erica Williams' show, like people have been talking about waiting on a recession, waiting on a recession. And you had a, you had a tweet where you said, recession isn't a buying opportunity if the lenders stop lending. Find <laughs> a way to make money now. It's it's just funny because I remember when we had um, like 2008, 2009, people always re- refer to that when they're talking about recessions and opportunities and the come up. But a lot of folks couldn't buy homes because lenders wasn't lending or because they had a BK on their record. And so they had to wait three years in order for it to get off so they could qualify for a loan. And so I just I just I, I feel like there's always it seems like there's always a reason for them to tell you to do nothing in when it was COVID, mm. not a lot of people had the response that I had. Not a lot of people. I was very unpopular from my stance. And now, now that we're through COVID and it's like, okay, things are back to normal now. It's like, well, it's a recession now. And so what are people expected to re- to, to do in a recession? Hoard their cash and do nothing. And what's going to be next? I don't know. A war, whatever. And I just, it, I, I don't like that mentality that I'm seeing continue to be purported throughout the community and through online is to do nothing. You got to do something. The thing is, the, the there might not be a perfect solution. Going back to the eviction thing, there might not be a perfect solution to what they're what they're going through. But they need to find one. And then as they're finding one, they might make mistakes and they might land on something new and innovative that they never thought of. That now it's like, hey, we just built this huge co-op and we just built little sections in here, and now we got our own little cubicle type deal. But if you don't do anything, if you don't take any action, you can't even find a novel and unique solution. And we're just like not doing it. And so I don't I don't want people to continue to be sold fear, sold scary stuff because it doesn't service. And that's how they control a lot of people is through fear. That's how they control slaves through fear. That's how they control employees through fear. That's how they control black people in general. That's how they win elections is through fear. Oh, man. He's so bad. If he comes into office, he's going to put you back in chains. If he gets in offense, he's going to do this and that. It's just all fear. That's what they use against us is fear. Fear of the unknown. False of evidence appearing real. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 inside money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. And I just want folks to start seeing, I I don't think that I have the ability to just take somebody's conclusion as the conclusion anymore. Law school kind of prevents you from doing that. You have to question everything. You have to question what you watch and read and what you're hearing. You have to. But a lot of people just adopt what's being said as word because they don't want to do the thinking and thinking is hard work. They're like, well, he said, he said, he said, I'm like, I don't care what he said. I said this. <laughs> I said, I'm doing this. I looked at the data. I looked at the information. I did the education in terms of, and as Kanye says, and I said this and I believe in me because maybe that recession talk or COVID talk is true for them. Let them keep that. It ain't true for me, though, because I found I'm going to take a different path. And it worked for me. I'm not telling you some stuff that didn't work. I'm telling you stuff that works and is continuing to work because there's always going to be people that speak fear into your plans. It don't matter what your plans are. It does not matter what your plans are. The recession and COVID is just the most obvious examples. 
You could tell somebody, I want to open up an ice cream stand. Ice cream ain't going to sell, blah, blah, blah. You could tell somebody you want to. <laughs> I'm sure Dave, when he said he wanted to leave lending and go into being an actual like uh, underwriter, there might have been some folks who was like, well, why would you want to do that? It's more money over here, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure, Raphael, whenever you get ready to make a move, there's always somebody pushing fear on your plans. And the fear sounds good. Yeah. It sounds compelling. And there's also people who think that they know your life better than you know your life. They don't know your life. They don't get to dictate what you do. Yeah, I'll say one one thing that sticks out from, from sticks out to me from my time in, in the Navy is one of my chiefs told me that no decision is a decision. So a lot of people think it's like, hey, I'm sitting around to make a decision. I'm I'm I'm, I'm plotting. I'm thinking about doing something. No, every like every second or every moment you take to not do something, you decide just to stay in the same place you already are right now. So like, not making a decision is the is actual decision a decision to stay the same. And so um. Yeah, talking about like the fear component, like the same folks right now that are talking about, you know, hey, don't buy a home because it's going to be a recession. They're the same folks that were saying in 2020, 2021, don't buy, don't buy a home because housing prices, home homes are priced too high. There's some same people that are saying in 2018 the exact same thing. Hey, you know, rates are rates are high right now. Wait till rates get lower. Rates got lower in 2020. They still didn't do anything. Um, so yeah, it's just I always say look at folks' track record to see what they they did in the past. Not necessarily what they're saying, because anybody can say anything and kind of kind of move with the wind. But if you actually look at the folks, the track record of folks that are telling you what to do now, it's it's probably it's probably just so what they said in the past can can be correct. Not necessarily not necessarily have anything to do with the actual data or what's what's going on as far as the recession, home prices, et cetera. Good news, you better keep the foot on the gas. Bad news, you better keep the foot on the gas. I think a lot of people who like don't do anything, that's just their mentality. Like COVID's just the excuse. They yeah. wasn't grinding before COVID. They wasn't <laughs> grinding before the recession. And they ain't gonna grind after the recession. And so you gotta be careful who you let communicate with you. This is why a lot of successful people don't be around other people who aren't successful. The energy's not the same. You bring in my an idea. And all they do is they figure out ways it can't work. He said, people who overthink are just looking for reasons why it can't work. Yeah. All they're doing is like saying, well, what if the sky falls and then it ain't no more sky so we can't get no more plants? And if I can't get no plants, the cows can't eat and the cows can't eat and I can't get steak. Like, bro, <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about investing in the stock market. You're talking about the sky falling. Yeah. So yeah, like when when it comes to like being a landlord or house hacking, folks will say like, you know, what happens if my tenant doesn't pay rent? And my response is like, what happens if they do? I mean, they're more likely to pay <laughs> the rent than they are to not pay the rent. So let, let, let's look at the most likely scenario and not not dwell on the least likely scenario and just be you know um, a mannequin and sitting there doing doing nothing. Like a mannequin. And then you had a tweet where you said the same people saying, aka hoping. There'll be a housing crash where the same ones telling you not to buy real estate the last two or probably 10 years. It's always like they're more invested in being right than the actual data. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that's just what I was talking about. Like I said, you know, folks that are saying the housing market is going to crash. Or like I said, the same folks that were saying don't buy a home um, in, in 2020. They're the same folks that have been saying don't do this, this or that. Um, probably as far, as far as you go back on social media and see what they were posting. And I mean, th those are folks that haven't taken any any action. And so like all, another like in the same crowd are the folks that say, hey, don't buy a home rent 
cheaply. And my response to that is always, well, you know, you can just buy a home cheaply as well. Like your landlord is paying less mm. for their mortgage than you're paying for rent. That, that's that's the whole point of being a landlord. No landlord is like, hey, I got a $2,000 mortgage. Let me rent you this property for $1,500 out of the goodness of, of my heart. And so like you can rent, you can buy ch cheaply or easier, uh, you know, two, three years ago than now, but you can buy cheaply just as easily as you can rent cheaply. The thing about buying cheaply is you're locked into that that mortgage for the next, you know, 30 years or so if you if you choose to be in their property for 30 years. But, you know, fortune always favors the, the action takers. It's, it's a lot easier to be a contrarian than to be an action taker. And you, yeah, you may stumble here and there, but, you know, you learn from your lessons and you and then you you move forward. That's a bar. I was talking to my mom. So my parents story is very interesting. Um, they've and this they're the people who kind of got me interested in real estate. When I was really young, my mom bought a condo. She paid ninety thousand dollars for this condo in San Diego, sold it for one sixty. And I was like, "What? You just made a seventy grand just for living?" And when she did move into the condo, before that, we were renting an apartment, and she actually the the rent was cheaper than the mortgage. And so she was like, "It just makes too much sense to buy. Why aren't more people doing this? Because they're misinformed and because they're sold fear." And so she did that. And then we moved in when she got remarried with uh, my stepdad and he had a house they paid 134. I think they might've sold it for like 250. They used that money to pay off student loans and to put a down payment on the next house that they bought. The next house they bought, they paid like 700 grand for a huge house, like 4,000 square feet. Um, but they bought it at the top of the recession, ended up losing that house. But like they knew the power of real estate. And so they had to go through what they went through while they went through it. They had to move into an apartment, suck it up and grind. But they always knew they were going to be owning something. So they bought another house. I want to say they paid like three thirty four, And I think they bought it like 10 years ago. Three thirty for this house. The mortgage is like twenty two hundred dollars. And the, the reason behind it is they said we don't ever want to buy a house that requires both of our incomes to sustain it. We want to buy a house that worst case scenario, one person's income can take care of this mortgage. But now that house is worth about seven hundred thousand dollars. And so now they have even more equity, but now they're like, nah, we're not using no equity to put into the house like they did before because we'd rather, um, we don't want our toys to be attached to our home. And so before, if you like, if you like uh, pull out a home equity loan line of credit, that attaches to your mortgage. So if you default on that toy, if you default on that pool, they're taking everything. <laughs> and so my mom recently went out and she decided that she wanted to um, build her own business. Her mortgage is $2,200. They can afford to make that off of nothing. And then my uh, my stepdad, he's doing what he's doing, starting his own business. The reason why they're able to be entrepreneurs is because their mortgage expense never changed. So what might have seemed like a little bit 10 years ago was nothing to them. It's a drop in the bucket to them. And one of the cool things that I noticed when you rent an apartment is like that first year is usually tight. And then that second year, you're usually all right. Like usually like, okay, I can handle this like rent thing. This is good. Um, but the problem is then they'd be coming up behind you and saying, no, nah, no, we're raising the rent. The mortgage didn't do that to me this year, this year, my mortgage. And that's honestly the reason why I'm even more comfortable this year, more confident this year is because my dividends have grown over time. Every quarter they increase the dividend. So my mortgage stays the same, but my dividends increase. And so I just get more and more comfortable. And so that's a true hack that a lot of people don't tap into is like, yeah, it might seem tight now in five years. It won't. It might seem like you're taking a loss right now in five years. You'll be more than comfortable. So focus on the five years and then flush you out some equity. It just doesn't make any sense to rent. It doesn't make any sense to rent. And I don't want I don't care if you're living in a high rise in Dallas. I don't care what you're doing. It don't make sense to rent. Yeah, I saw an article where rents in Miami went up 41 percent like year over year. Like 
I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like forty-one percent in one year, and that's it's partially supply and demand, uh, and then partially it's, it's just because. I mean, when you're renting, your landlord could just raise the rent just because, and so you got to deal with it. If there, if there are more people willing to to pay forty-one percent more than you are, you either got to you either got to cough up the money or you know or move out. So yeah, own, own some own some stuff. And always know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. A lot of people they think, oh. Um, I rent, but I don't pay property taxes or yeah. I rent. I don't got to pay for maintenance. I don't got to pay for that. Like you paying, you yeah, paying. Baked into your, to rent. They're like, like duh, your rent, your landlord's not taking an L and I'll, I'll say another thing. A lot of folks <laughs> right. um, are like, you know, how do I, how do I get the money for a down payment or to, to buy a home? You, you got to just buckle down and budget. I mean, you're, you're, you're in your lease right now for at least a year, put together a budget to figure out, you know, um, well, Work work backwards, find out you know what home price you're trying trying to find, and then put together a budget to figure out what you need for a down payment. Like in my experience, people, especially people putting down like twenty percent, which you, you don't need. The the minimum is either zero, three, or three and a half percent based on what loan program you're using. But the folks that are putting down these big chunks of cash, like twenty percent down to avoid PMI, they get it from one of two places. One, they're getting it from their parents, or two, they're getting it from the sale of their previous home. And so mm-hmm. the trick is you got to get a previous home. That's so, you know, use the loan programs, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be a veteran, um, you know, VA is 0% down, USDA is 0% down, NACA, it's, it's a little rough sometimes, but it's worth it, 0% down, or use a conventional loan, 3% down, 3.5% down FHA, and, and get in that home and, and build some equity. Like, you're not building any equity in an apartment, even if you're in a situation where your landlord's not not raising the rent. If they're not raising the rent, it's because your rent was probably, for, they're not raising the rent for two reasons. Either their mortgage is so low that it doesn't even matter, like they, they bought their property 10, 20 years ago, or they were just overcharged you on the first time. I and mean, they're just like, hey, I'm going to let I'm gonna let rents level out um, mm-hmm. and they haven't said anything. So um, it, it, it's all good there. But, yeah, buy you a home, build some equity. And that's how you kind of expand on on uh, on buying other properties is, is by using the, the equity in that first property. If you if you uh, if need be big, 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 big gym. Um, first off, shout out to Black Business Click on getting another super chat. He said his four-year-old is sitting here with him soaking up the game. Shout out to Lil G and you fellas. I think that's so cool. It's really cool when we're like on the mastermind call. And then like I see somebody post a picture, and then my son is just sitting there. I'm like, man, he's getting the game so young. Like, this is dope. Like, all he's gonna know is business and entrepreneurship. But also, what I was gonna say is like that is a gym. One of the reasons my parents are able to buy that seven hundred thousand dollar home and put the down payment on that home is because they had previous homes. A previous home. So a lot of people who are sitting there and they can't buy a house, it's because they're trying to buy their dream house. They're like, man, if I could just buy my dream house, I'll be good. Well, buy the house you can afford now. Yeah. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. But you know what's not comfortable or easy is renting and working multiple jobs and doing all that stuff. So like the name of the game is get uncomfortable. You got to intentionally get uncomfortable. I know there's so much power in being uncomfortable that I intentionally put myself in uncomfortable situations because I know it's going to push me to grow. I know it's going to inspire that spark that's going to really help me get to that next level. So that is a gym, y'all. Not too many people are talking about just buying that starter home, buying that condo, buying that um, little small duplex, that fort, whatever. Buy what you can afford now, and then you can pivot and cash out on that. But my favorite way to get the money for a down payment is provide a service to the world. Take whatever skill set that you're doing on your job and turn it into a business. Yes. That is a great way. I, I was sitting there and I was talking to uh, my friends. We went to Camarillo. Camarillo is uh, like a very expensive area. It's right near the beach. 
very expensive. They're saying they're renting like 4,000 a month right now. And so I was talking to one of the dudes and he was saying like, yeah, these homes are so expensive. They're starting at like 800,000, almost even a million dollars. He's like, but I'm just trying to figure out how people are getting the down payment. And so I'm over here like, okay, 3% down on $800,000 is like 24K, right? Yeah, it's like 24 yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay, like that's cool. He's like, yeah, I mean, we, we, we both work. We make good money, but we're just barely getting by. And my friend was sitting there. He's like, well, Charles started a business. That's how he did it. And I was like, that's how you do it. But you know what his response was? I don't know if I want to start a business. We giving you the answers, fam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem is you don't want to do it. So don't tell me about what you can't do. Tell me about what you aren't willing to do. And, mm. and then just be honest, man. Like, I don't want to do all that. All yeah, right, yeah. we'll enjoy the projects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard you say that in a while, Charles. <laughs> yeah, that is true, though. Like, I mean, it's your life and your decision. If you don't want to do that, then... You don't want to do that and say that. And it'll make a difference to people instead of pretending that you're willing and then just frustrating people that are giving you advice. Yeah, here's another thing that folks don't realize. And so um, let, let's talk about Cali. Like real estate is, is expensive out there. But you know, that that, that $800,000 house that you're looking at right now, somebody bought that home for $600,000 five, 10 years ago. And they were looking at the home thinking like, hey, man, this is expensive. And 10 years before that, somebody bought that home for $300,000. And they were sitting looking at the home saying, man, this is expensive. Like property will appreciate. Like as long as you like say, I'll keep saying this. As long as your plan is not just to be like, hey, I want to buy this home, send it for six months and, and move to another one. That doesn't work. But if you're going to be in that home for like, which you are statistically from for five to eight years, the home is going to appreciate. Like that's just that's just what the numbers Say like you can go to all the doomsday scenarios you want to, and the one-off scenario where there was a neighborhood where the homes went down. But statistically, homes will always appreciate. That's just it's what it is. Folks are always going to need some way to lay somewhere to lay their head. That's that's been the since the beginning since there since there was man. Folks needed a place to sleep. Where there was a cave, now in their homes and condos, folks need a place to sleep. That just is that just is what it is. Yeah, um, that's another thing is. You have to let people know that you're presenting an opportunity to them and maybe you can get some family and friends to help you get that down payment. And my theory mm -hmm. is if you have family and friends help you fund your down payment and that property appreciates in value, then in about year, two years, however long it takes for you to, to, to grow, you can just refinance out their equity. So what would happen is let's say you buy a $500,000 house, 3.5% down is 15K. And then what you do is you, um, let's say that property appreciates from $500,000 to, I don't know, $50,000. You should still be able to refinance out that because now you have at least 10% in equity. And so when you refinance it back at $500,000, now the house is worth five fifty, dollars And so a bank should be able to provide that, right? And so now you take that excess, if they gave you fifteen dollars that means you should, you should have been in that loan for like four eighty five dollars approximately. You just give them their money back that way. Ideally, you do it with interest. So I think that you got to be intelligent and creative when you want to approach this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just an idea that I had because I was like, somebody came to me and they wanted me to help them buy a house, but they didn't actually want me to help them buy a house. What they wanted me to do was pay off their bad debt so they can go off and buy a house. And I was like, they thought that it was the same thing. <laughs> I was like, that's not the same thing. I want my, I want my money secured in that property. 
I don't just want to give you a check because worst case scenario, we can go and we can get that money out of that property. If I give you a blank check, you may or may not pay me back. I've given loans to people who have ghosted me. Once you give them that cash is gone. And so I don't I don't want to do that anymore. But like they didn't understand that process. Yeah. To, to, to go even deeper there, we talk about debt and credit. And so like in that scenario, you paying off somebody's bills like that doesn't help fix the root cause of why they have the bills. In the first place, <laughs> and so like, what did that accomplish? It reset, it reset their actual debt, but it didn't reset or change the habits that got them the bad debt in the first place. And that, that's um, this is a whole other conversation, but that, that's a lot of things where folks are getting getting credit repair and folks doing all this stuff to, to white clean their their reports. Sometimes legal, sometimes not. That that's all good and, and and dandy, but like, did you actually fix the bad traits that got you the bad credit in the first mm. place? Because that matters a lot more than your score does, or maybe equally as much as your score does, because you can't get a home with certain scores. But um, when it comes to credit repair, make sure you're fixing the habits. As, as also, we have, make, make sure you're fixing the habits as well when you're fixing like your your credit profile and stuff like that. That's that's uh, more important in my opinion. Very important. Um, so Cherie in the chat said, um, you could site hustle your way to a down payment. And Charles, I found an old tweet of yours from 2020, where you said, when I started knocking out my housing expense with side hustle money instead of working income, I was magically able to start just start stacking all the checks from the day job. Who said that? You did. 2020. From 2020. From 2020. Damn, that's a throwback. <laughs> One of the things I was going to say is, so we were we were on the house hunt multiple times, and the first time we went um, on the house hunt. And we had the money for the down payment, which is about 15K. I got that with options trading. I didn't get that from the job. And so I think it's important to realize these jobs don't want you to own shit. Why? Because they don't want you to have a quarter million dollars in equity. Why? Because you walk different when you got equity. You walk <laughs> different when you got when you got no housing expense. You don't put up with no nonsense. And they need you to put up with nonsense to keep you on the job. The folks who don't got to work ain't letting you talk to them however they need people as small as possible that is the reason why your job doesn't allow you to get a down payment it's by design it's not a mistake i was watching this uh i was watching this uh tiktok video and it was showing the process of like water when it goes from your toilet back to your tap and so the water goes down some tubes and it flows through some canals and it goes into the system and it's processed through the system and it goes into the tower and it goes back to your tap. No people involved. I was like, that's crazy because you think that they're pulling the water out of your tap. It goes to the facility. They treat it at the facility. No, it's just a system that flows literally just like as it goes, it goes. And like, that's how effortless these systems are. They create themselves. The only way that you can break free of the system is to create something of your own. You don't break a system through protest. You break a system by creating a system. My system was options trading. My system was building a business. But if you don't have a system for yourself, the only system that you can rely on is the system that they're giving you. And you're going to perpetually be in a state of, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're paying you just enough to survive. I'll never forget. I saw something. It was like, I want to say how they determine your wages. And so how they determine your wages is they look at how much it costs to rent out there. They look at how much it costs to buy a car. They look at how much it should be costing you to feed you. And that's what they pay you. Yeah, yeah. It's like a survival number. 
And so Jeremy Johnson comes on these podcasts all the time and he says, like, man, when we were slaves, we got free food, we got free housing, we got free clothes. Now we get paid, but all our money goes to housing, food, and clothes. It's by design. I had to create a side hustle because I was like, this ain't the life for me. I'm Ty Millie. Ty Millie got to live. And so if I just call myself an N-word, I'll be over there like, oh, man, this is how this is all we got for us N-words, man. This is all we're going to do for us N-words. We black folks. We ain't ever going to have nothing. I was like, I'm Ty Millie. I got to get it. And so what I would say is that, like, the side hustles, the money that you get outside of their system, I was I, I never forget, like not forget, but like yesterday, um, I'm out there fishing, course sales going off. And then I was like, you know what? It's five o'clock. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna fire up some stuff and do some work. And I was like, it's cool. Like people think I don't work, but it's like I used to only be able to make money if I went to their place at their time. Now I can make money anywhere. And that's empowering. And it's kind of like blows my mind sometimes. But like that's what happens when you create your own system. You get to dictate the terms. You get to you get to determine the flow. I set my automations up. I set my emails up. I create my posts. I got somebody who does that. I got a system that operates without me. You got to create that water flow system for your life. And if you don't, I don't know. You're just going to be having a, a, a toilet full of turds. <laughs> you got to have a, you got to flip it, man. Enjoy the projects. But I, I, you're right about that, about what they can uh, figure out what to pay you. Because I never did that math. But like if you're if you work like in San Francisco and like, uh, you know, during COVID, there were a lot of like remote opportunities and people move and they change their salary. Like you're doing the exact same work. Like, why does it matter if you live in San Francisco or, or Des Moines, Iowa? Like, what, what, why are you getting paid less to do the exact same job? So, yeah, that is a good point. They pay you just based on what it takes to what it takes to live there. Yeah, I never did that math. But, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's why they got it. And, and you know what's interesting is a lot of the people also who get down payments and they get it from their parents, their parents are pulling it from their equity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's one of the things that I was telling them, like, we were talking about one day on the couch. I was like, Nolan, good. We got the down payment for Nolan. And it's going to come mm-hmm. out of that equity. We're just going to put it from one property into the next. His property appreciates and we booming. And so the only reason why I share this is I don't dislike somebody for creating a system that benefits them. I like us for playing into a system that benefits them and expecting any different. Like we're literally like just showing up to their system and then complain like, I can't save for a down payment, man. What are we going to do? What, what do you got? You got an, another 16 hours that day. You could probably sleep for six hours. You got another 10 hours. You could work harder for yourself than you could work for them, but you're not going to get it in their system. And I spotted that a long time ago, and I think it might have been Rich Dad Poor Dad that, that ruined it for me. Like once I spotted that, I was unable to just give my all to their system because I knew it was a game. I knew they were going to take as much life for me that, as they can, give me a little baby, baby salary increase, and that was it. And I'm Todd Millie. And just real quick on that on that down payment note, like another uh, hack that wealthy people use is something called like a 1031 exchange. And so like if you have a rental property, you can sell their rental property and never pay taxes on the proceeds because you can just roll that that money into another similar property. So a lot of rich folks just do that and they they just just keep doing that with properties and you never pay taxes on any of this stuff. And like meanwhile, folks are just, hey, I'm just keep paying rent on this. I'm gonna keep paying rent because the, the rent is relatively cheap on this property. But they're they're not they're not building any any wealth. Yeah. Now, Dave, what I really like about your page on Instagram is like you share a lot of information, and you share in a way that I think is different to anybody I really see out there doing it. Like you, you put a different perspective on things, a different spin on things, and anybody listening to this, we're gonna have 
Dave come back and do a special uh, talk for the the Patreon Patreon exclusive on mortgage guidelines and down payments FHA all all that kind of stuff. So be sure to join the Patreon the Money Team. Just drop the the link in the chat. Um, so you you had a tweet where you said your four hundred eighty three dollar BMW payment is the reason you can't qualify for the home you want, not quote unquote the system. That car payment is the equivalent of ninety thousand dollars in purchasing power. You look cool at the stoplight though. <laughs> yeah, man. Like fo- folks are so it's just a thing. Folks are so interested in looking cool than they are in like taking care of things, and so like I always see. So it's funny when I was in the in the Navy, um, you could tell you could kind of look at the parking lot and tell what rank people were because the people that made the less money had the nicest cars. It was it was just amazing. Like you would see like these these Benzes and Mercedes and BMWs, and you knew the people lived on the ship because they had such an expensive car payment they couldn't afford to actually mm. buy a home. And so, oh. like they're, they're, when you're when you're buying a home, there's literally just three things that a lender looks at. They're all within your control. One is your credit. So we can talk about like systematic issues with credit scores, blah, blah, blah. But um, 65% of your credit score is paying your bills on time, which is 35%, and your credit utilization, which is 30%. That's 65% of your credit score. That's 100% within your control. The other factors are like length of credit history, credit mix, and new new credit. But your credit score is 100% within your control. The next thing is your debt-to-income ratio. So your debt-to-income ratio is basically your monthly finance debts, which includes like a ridiculous car payment if you have one, plus your future mortgage payment divided by your income before taxes. Once again, all three of those items like you control. And so that that four that four thirty, that four eighty-three, that, that's actually a, an an old tweet I reposted. So that so folks will say, hey, a car payment is a lot more today than 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 four hundred dollars. Yes, but the whole point of that is you don't need a BMW, honestly, if you're living in an apartment. You you don't even really need a BMW if you're living <laughs> In a house, but you definitely don't need a BMW if you're living in an apartment, which is which it's kind of wild to me. Like these these fancy cars, I see people that don't own anything riding around with, and the whole purpose is to look cool at the stoplight. That's the only reason you have you have such a nice car that you really you really can't afford. And then like the the third component of, of buying a home is just do you have funds available for the down payment? And once again, it's hard to save for that down payment if you if you're spending five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred dollars on a car once again just to look cool in the parking lot um in your apartment parking lot at the stoplight and so like like a lot of a lot of folks are just being held back by expenses they don't really need to have it's, it's really it's kind of where i'm getting at with that tweet and to actually get to the numbers a 483 dollar car payment or a 483 dollar payment anywhere is the equivalent of ninety thousand dollars in purchase power, and sometimes folks will be like, "Well, there's no ninety thousand dollars houses." Yeah, yeah, of course there aren't, dummy. But there's a difference between a a two hundred thousand dollars home and a two hundred and ninety thousand dollars home, or a three hundred thousand dollars home and a three hundred ninety thousand dollars home is the difference in that in that car payment you have. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just it's a tweet about just focusing on your budget and what matters if you're really trying to to build wealth or or trying to look cool. And that that applies to anything: a car payment. Uh, a trip you don't need to be taken to to Loam or, or Jamaica or a belt you don't need to be buying that's probably like fake anyways, or it may be real and everyone else has fake belt. So like who knows if yours is real in the first place. And so um yeah, just just to me it's, it's focused on your priorities. It's kind of the message uh amongst that amongst that tweet. Yeah, 
I heard um, somebody on social media stated that like when lenders see that you have like a new car, they're less likely to approve you because they think that your priorities are out of order. And if like worse comes to worse, you're going to take care of that car before you take care of the house. And so, so from, from my perspective, so I'll, I'll tell you how that, that process works when it comes to like looking at debts like that. So first and foremost, these, the, your profile is run through an algorithm. And so no one really knows how that, that algorithm works as far as you know what they're, they're looking at, but, but recent debts, have a bigger impact than, than old debts. And so like when you're looking at your credit score, um, like I said, 15% of that is like length of credit history. So your, your FICO score is 850 points, 300 points, so those are free. So there's 550 points that one is able to manipulate for their credit score. And so 15% of that 550 points is, is 82.5 points, which is your length of credit history. And so when you get a new car or whatever, it shortens your length of, of credit history. So like if you have like a, a credit card that's five years old um, and then you get a new card that's one month old now like your length of credit, this is not the exact math, but your length of credit history has now gone down to two and a half years, which therefore reduces the um, the amount of points that, that go towards your, your credit history and your, and your credit score. And so that, that, that's how it kind of works from a high level perspective, but most of it is kind of done through like an algorithm uh, when it comes to evaluating your your credit profile, and so yeah, yeah, having that new card directly impacts the length of credit history when it comes to your your credit score. And so sometimes folks will get into situations where there are scenarios where you can't make it through the the algorithm or the what's called like automated underwriting, but you're not necessarily denied. And so there's situations where there's like manual underwriting. And so when you're in a situation where there's manual underwriting, that's when a, a underwriter is actually going tooth and comb through your file, looking at all your, looking at your entire situation. So yeah, like in that scenario, if you're doing, if the underwriter's doing like manual underwriting and they say, hey, this person just went out and bought uh, a Benz, a $700 car payment. And now their debt to income ratio is, and let's say your max debt to, debt to income ratio can be, I don't know, 50, 50%. And now because of that car, their, their debt to income ratio is at like 48% and they have a bunch of other negative factors, which is why they couldn't make it through the computer algorithm. Yeah, yeah, they, they may deny your they may deny, deny your loan because you're in a situation where it's just up to the interpretation of, of one human saying that I think this person is responsible or not. And uh, it may not be responsible to, to buy a $700, have a $700 car payment if you're only mm. making X amount of money per, per year. Yeah, and there were definitely a lot of people during the Great Recession that kept the car and let go of the house, man, which is crazy. Yes, that's wild. That is absolutely crazy. I guess they want to, they don't care if they live in their car. Well, I, I saw, I saw someone commented on my post once, but I thought was, was funny and clever, but they did say, hey, you can sleep in a car, but you can't drive a house. So I guess some people look <laughs> from, 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 that, from that perspective, so. Wow, but you guys talked, you guys touched on this before. Um, you kind of touched on this before, but you know, get Charles was saying, get whatever you can afford right now. Um, what do you guys think? And I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I just want to hear on record. What do you guys think about somebody getting their first home and they can only get a single family house versus a multifamily? Because some people will tell you it doesn't make any sense 
to get a single family house, especially if it's your first one, you know, get a multi-family so your tenants could pay part of the, the mortgage. Like, what's your thoughts on that? So my, my thoughts is always is do what's best for your personal scenario. Like a, a multifamily home isn't better than a single family home. It depends what, what, what your goals are. So, I mean, you can house hack a single family home, but ultimately it's just whatever works best for your personal scenario. So, I mean, there's a situation where maybe you have, maybe you have kids, you have a wife or something, and you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're in a, a building where you're like sharing a wall with another person for safety issues or, you know, or, or any perceived safety issues as always, do what's best for your personal scenario. So like when I talk to prospective home buyers, the first thing I, I, I ask them is like, hey, what's your rent? And so they're, if they're like, hey, my rent is $1,000 a month, I'm like, okay, can you afford a $1,000 a month mortgage payment? Like, is that is that payment comfortable for you? And so if they say, no, it's not, I need to go lower. So now what is a comfortable payment for you? Is it $800? Okay, now we need to find out what, what, what mortgage payment or what's the... What uh, what home value will give you the equivalent mortgage payment of a of an eight hundred thousand dollar home or or maybe they can go higher maybe they can go up to fifteen hundred dollars and do do the same math so to me that's really the first step whether you're looking at a multifamily or a single family is figure out what monthly payment is com- comfortable for you and to figure out like kind of what lifestyle you want to live like there, there's nothing wrong with getting a single family home living in it for a year and then moving out and then renting that property out I mean you you can do that too there, there's a lot of ways to to skin the uh, proverbial cat and that anyone that's telling you to do one thing is just a one trick pony because they don't know anything they don't know anything better um so like i said i personally my first home was a a condo it was a two-bedroom i house hacked that i had my my uh, roommate who honestly didn't even know i lived he didn't know i owned the property but that's a whole different story they my mortgage was like 1350 and they were paying 900 dollars a month of rent mm. that was a great scenario for me it is a single family home and i i, I did it again so I personally never purchased a multi-family property, and, and things have worked out uh, for me because I I house hacked that single family strategically, and then was able to rent out those properties after the fact. So um, yeah, to me, one trick ponies say um, do this or that, but there's a bunch of different ways to uh, to accomplish whatever personal goal that you have set for you and your family. This, this my, yeah. my one thing that kind of frustrates me about the current culture of social media is people have their way of doing it. And they'll make you seem dumb for doing it any way that's not their way. Mm-hmm. And so then you start to question, can I do it that way? Am I stupid? Am I doing it the wrong way? Is this a mistake? When you have to be rigid in your goals, but flexible in your approach to accomplishing your goals. And so I posted something recently and I said, like, man, I used to think that financial freedom was going to come to me through rental properties. And that didn't happen for me. It came, but it didn't come that way. The goal was freedom. What is your goal? Is your goal own a multifamily? Probably not. Your goal is freedom. Therefore, you got to get there in a way that makes sense to you. You might not live in a market that has a bunch of multifamily properties. So what are you going to do? Sit around and dwell on the fact that you can't get financial freedom because they said the only way to get there is through multifamily? Or are you going to think, hey, California is a place where people will rent a room from you? And they'll pay good money to rent a room for you from you. So maybe I should approach this differently in my market. Every market is different. Therefore, the information that's pushed on the Internet as the end all be all might not be true for you in your market. I'll never forget the story where Doug Depp, what he did is he bought a single family house. And you know what he did? He lived in the garage and rented out all the rooms. And he's just as rich as a person who bought a duplex, just as rich as a person who bought a fourplex. 
So if you guys are listening to this, the answer to that question is, what is your goal? What do you have accessible in your immediate market that you can use to accomplish that goal? It might look like a mix of different strategies. It might look like a hybrid of a strategy, but don't get caught up in thinking that the way that they're saying is the way that works is the only way that it works for you. Because an example is maybe in California, you do have to finance a car in order for it to be attractive on tour if it's going to run at LAX. But maybe in Philadelphia, there's a market for that. So you need to approach your situation in a way that makes sense for your circumstances. Or you might be in a market where it doesn't make sense to finance a car because people aren't going to pay for it. So you need to get a cash car. Or you might be in a market where there's a bunch of multifamilies and that's just the market for that, like Chicago. And so you need to be looking at house hacking culture. Look at all the information that's out there in the world and find out what makes sense to you and then execute on that. But don't get discouraged because the market that you're seeing talked about or the the strategy that you're seeing talked about won't work for you in your market or isn't immediately obvious to work in your market. Just think of different ways. But when you do find a strategy that works in your market, go all in on that. Yeah, one more thing, because I think a lot of these people that are talking about, you know, um, house hacking and all that don't actually do it. Uh, it's just <laughs> cool to say. So if, if anyone if anyone tells you, um, talks about multifamily properties and all that, ask them what the FHA self-sufficiency test is. I I guarantee you, okay, okay, guarantee you, there's a good chance they don't know what it is. Um, and so Whoa. the FHA self-sufficiency test is when a three and four unit property the the rent for all the units has to can be no more than 75 percent of the mortgage so that's why in a lot of these um high cost living areas it doesn't even make it's not even viable to get a multifamily property because the the mortgage is too high um but i rarely see anyone like talk about the fha self-sufficient test when they're talking about house hacking which leads me to believe that a lot of these folks are just saying it because you know house hacking is a fad and it's cool to do and it's cool to say but they're not actually doing it themselves yeah. So I'm not knocking anybody pushing their agenda, though. 100% push your agenda. But as consumers, I don't want you guys to get frustrated because one thing doesn't work for you. The goal is freedom, y'all. I want freedom yes. for all my peeps. I'm not turning to this stuff. Charles, <laughs> you had a tweet where you said it's not a recession. Folks are just about to stop paying 150 k over asking all cash. That's a good thing. Yeah, um, it's funny because, and this is why you got to take an opportunistic approach to everything, is I feel like high interest rates, recession talk was scaring people. But when we were in low interest rates, no recession talk, everybody was getting outbid on everything they even uh, tried to approach. And so maybe things are changing for the better. So maybe you should be looking for opportunities instead of playing chicken little and hoarding your money. Or worst case, trying to travel as much as you can because you think that you won't be able to get there at some point. I know somebody who, before they had kids, they traveled like crazy. And that was just their goal. Travel, 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 travel. And like now that they have kids, like they can't really do too much traveling. But I kind of took the different approach. I was like, before I have kids, I'm not going to be doing much. I'm going to be stacking so that now when I have a son, he can experience those different things. As opposed to me just showing them pictures like, man, where we was here, man, check out my shot glass collection of all the places that I've gone. Like, that's cool. But it's like, that's about your kid. I know people who like have traveled the world, but they never took the kids nowhere. Like, I think that's kind of lame. Like, and it's possible to travel with kids. The heart dogs have shown it. The heart dogs out in Cabo with their daughter. I'm like, that's the way you should be doing it. 
when I see folks with kids traveling without the kids, I'm giving them the side eye, man. I'm like, bruh, you don't think the kids want to go to the beach too? You don't think kids want to go see history too? Like, but to each his own, man. I just do things my way. They can do things their way. It is what it is. I'm not condemning nobody. But yeah, the recession, the pre- whatever you guys want to call it. I remember when um, I was doing a podcast with Rashawn, it was like right when COVID hit. And um, she was like, so how are you approaching this COVID thing? I was like, we, if we're going to die, I'm going to die working. If we're going to die, I'm going to die building, but I'm not going to die in this house hiding. And that's how I approach everything. Yeah. You. Now, earlier, um, Brandy said in the chat that uh, black folks should not get caught up in this buying versus renting argument that black people should just should be looking to buy. Like, forget all that other talk. Like, we should be looking to buy. Because, I mean, obviously, we just way behind the wealth game. And, Charles, you had an interesting tweet I wanted to touch on. You said everyone talks about house hacking, but nobody talks about buying a home in a developing community with foresight so that you can pick up a quarter million in equity in two years. Again, every market is different, man. You listening to a real estate expert in Chicago, you're going to be looking at your market like, what is going on? You're looking into it, listening to it like, there's a reason, and I'm learning this, there's a reason why in a lot of instances, like advisors are, are licensed on a state-by-state basis because everything is different in that state. The laws are different in that state. The economy is different in that state. But social media gives us access to everybody in the world. So we're getting information from somebody in Atlanta's perspective about something that works in California. And so we're just spinning in circles. And so um, in California and what I've seen with my parents, cause like I said, my, my stepdad, he moved up here, paid one thirty for a house, sold it for like two sixty ish, if not more, probably more. Um, when he moved up here, there was nothing up here, Raphael. It was literally dirt. All we had was a Walmart and a Vons and an in and out in a high school. It was dirt. And now you look up at that eight and we lived on this uh, top of a hill called Tuscany Hills. And like, now they started building down the other side of the hill. So that's where they bought their other house. They put in all these large homes up there. They built homes down the hill. They built homes at the bottom of the hill. They just kept building, building, building. Now you go over there. You're like, what is this? This is crazy. They added like another high school, um, a whole bunch of other schools. I think there might be two high schools there now. And now like the Temecula Inland Empire area, you don't got to go. We used to have to go to San Diego to do everything. Like literally, like if you want to go to the mall, you got to go to San Diego. If you want to go to a nice restaurant, you got to go to San Diego. Now everything is there. And so the play in California is to buy where there's nothing knowing that they're building. And I have friends who they're looking at the world and like, I can't buy a house. It's like you're looking in the wrong area. You might have to drive an hour and commute. You might have to make that sacrifice. That's what my parents did. They drove an hour. They're driving an hour back and forth to work to San Diego, put crazy miles in those cars. My mom was driving an hour to get to work where she was working. But like, those are the things that you have to do if you really want it. What's the goal? The goal is there. We got to be flexible on the execution of accomplishing that goal. And so that's what we did. I saw my parents do it. I was like, all right, cool. We were in an area where we live now, which is just south of Ranch Cucamonga. And it's just north of like Corona. And when we first moved here, there was nothing. We were like the second phase of homes. All the homes there, it was just dirt. All the homes there were dirt. All the homes there were dirt. But as they build it, guess what's happening? 
value just going up and up and up. So everything that I do is strategic. Everything that I do is intelligent because we knew things were coming. We we're talking to the sales lady. She's like, oh, yeah, they're going to be building all these different cities, all the different schools here. They're going to be building more um, retail space over there. And I knew we had a winner when we got a Costco there. And then I knew we really had the winner when I saw that Chick-fil-A sign pop up. I was like, bruh, <laughs> it's a wrap. It's a wrap, man. We got a Chick-fil-A and two Starbucks. It's a Starbucks there and a Starbucks right there, both walking distance. I'm like, bruh, I made it. But like, that's what you got to do. You have to identify the opportunity and you got to be willing to make that sacrifice and commute to that opportunity, knowing that it's going to eventually improve. And so everybody's like, we're talking about making money, right? The goal is make money. The goal is not house hack. The goal is not multifamily. The goal is make money. So therefore, if I bought a house using this strategy and I made money, I accomplished the goal that we're all trying to accomplish. The goal isn't that. And so this is a California specific strategy, but that might actually work in other places, because I know if you were to go places like Texas, I have a friend, he bought a house in this, like a place that was like in the outskirts of, uh, I want to say Houston. It was a little city outside of Houston, but now you look up and the way Houston is set up and the way a lot of Texas cities are set up. So you have the main city and then you have like this big freeway and along that freeway is just different towns and they're all commutable distance to the main city. And so most people are like, I want to move to Dallas. I'm moving right into Dallas. I want to move right into Houston. I'm not moving. If it's not in Houston, I'm not moving. Like, bro, you know that little bungfuck city that's 30 minutes out is going to be popping soon. And you're still commutable distance. And so you got to be looking at commutable distance as well. You don't necessarily have to just live right in that city. And if you are living right in the city, you're probably overpaying. You're probably going to be broke for a long time. It might get some appreciation. But that's the thing is you got you to gotta find the outskirts. Yeah, yeah, big big shout to my, my wife because we kind of did the same thing. So like at the beginning, I said I live in, in Dallas. I actually live about 30, 40 minutes north of Dallas. So like when I bought this home, like similar to, to Charles, we were home number 22 in this community. There was nothing like there was nothing out here. I mean, we had to drive 20 minutes to get to a grocery store. And we, I paid we paid probably we, well, I know we paid we paid 329 for this home five years ago. And like right now in their home selling for close to to six hundred thousand dollars, because what do you know? They're building stuff. Like like Charles, there's literally a Starbucks. They just they just started building now within walking distance. There there's a grocery store down the corner. The the PGA of like the PGA moved their headquarters ten minutes from my house. So there's literally like the PGA headquarters. There's a, a world class golf course. There's going to be majors down here, all because we we sacrificed and bought a home, quote unquote, in the middle of nowhere instead of you know buying one in, in downtown Dallas. This is that home. In downtown Dallas five years ago, it probably would have been close to, to seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars. Which which obviously we I know it's obvious not, but we cannot afford we couldn't afford to do that. So our our situation or option would have been to keep renting, um, or or, or do nothing. But no, we moved, you know, 40, 40 minutes outside of the city and now we have three hundred thousand dollars in equity. So if 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 the worst case scenario happens between me and my wife, we both lose our jobs and we can't afford to pay for this home, we can sell it and we'll we'll have three hundred thousand dollars. And so that, that's the, once again, that's another benefit of, of owning, of ownership. And uh, like Charles said, not trying to get the nicest. Well, folks talk about not buying the nice home of the block, but you don't have to, to buy in the nicest neighborhood either. You can move a little bit, a little bit further out. And I know I'm saying buy in the hood. Although if you do buy in the hood, we talked about, you know, Dumbo um, at the beginning of this podcast. Sometimes the hood becomes the, the, the go-to place once everyone in the city finds out that they can no longer afford to, to live there and, and trying to find some place. A little bit more affordable. Yeah. So yeah, don't sleep on those uh, 
those middle of nowhere towns, but also do your research as well, because sometimes middle of nowhere stays, stays right. in the middle of nowhere if you don't look at the, uh, the upcoming projects. You got to get in the car and you got to drive until you find something that you can afford. Mm-hmm. So when those signs start looking like, okay, I have a friend, man. He bought his first house in Beaumont, California. And um, I want to say he paid like $300,000 for this house. He bought it right after he got out of college. And he got some equity in that house and he bought a bigger house in Beaumont. Got some equity in that house and he bought a house in Banning, which is still a developing area. He bought a huge house in Banning, great backyard, fixed up the whole backyard, all because all he did is he just kept flipping. So like if we were to sell this house, I wouldn't want to buy a house here. What I would do is sell this house and then go drive, find something I can afford and then buy that house. And so then I'm probably going to get a house twice the size of this. And you're just doing the same thing. There is. I forget. I keep saying that. But I remember um, there was I heard this story about this white lady who moved into like this hood neighborhood and she knew it was changing. She knew it was changing. So she's like, hey, we're buying this. But she's like, I've already done this twice. I moved to a hood area that I know was changing. And then I let my house appreciate. And then I go find the next hood area to, to know it's changing. A lot of people are struggling because they don't have a house behind them. And so I tell like my sister, this is the key to your wealth is to buy a house. You need some, you need a house behind you. You need to have you working plus the house working. Because, yeah, I talk about paying the mortgage, but the house is working for us. My wife don't work, but the house be working. So somebody going to work around here. We're going to have two incomes somehow. And the second income is the house that we live in. So I think that's cool, too, is like the house will allow your wife to work less. So, yeah, but, but, yeah, we'll say, yeah most definitely. Um, like, like you're kind of saying, the real estate is, once again, the cornerstone of a generation. Well, I think a lot of folks or maybe you haven't heard the story about um, Bruce Beach, which was basically stolen from uh, the family, and their property was basically stolen from a family in 1924. Uh, basically, the the Manhattan like city council basically just took the took their their land right on the beach due to what they call like eminent domain. They they mm-hmm. they they didn't need the property; they just didn't want this black family to have the property. And so, they, their property like sat dormant for like 20 years, and they eventually like built a parking lot or something like that, and like a lifeguard station. But like the, the whole reason for eminent domain was, was just just BS. They just didn't want this black family to have this what to have what was the like the first black seaside resort in the California area. And so as of like July 1st of this year, the property was finally returned to the family. But if you actually read the story, the family owns the property, but they don't get it back right away. They actually have to lease it back to the city at four hundred and thirteen thousand dollars a year. For the, for the next two years, at least. Yeah. And then the city has the option to buy the home as yeah. old by the land back for another $20 million. And so as I was reading that story, I was thinking about, you know, so the LA, I don't know what county it is, maybe LA County, Manhattan Beach, where, wherever that is in LA, but they're saying this this land is worth $413,000 a year, at least. That's not even an open market. And so this land was stolen from them in 1924, but it, but just go back 10 years, that that's $4.13 million in, in, in generational wealth, just in the last 10 years that this family missed out on. If you go back a hundred years, that's, you know, 40, you know, $41 million in generational, generational wealth, this family missed out on. That's not including compounding interest or, or anything. Like I said, there, there's a reason that the, the wealth gas, the wealth gap exists. It's because people don't own anything. The easiest thing to own on a large scale 
is real estate. You can put down 3%, 3.5% down and own a $100,000, a $200,000, a $300,000 asset. And so I just like, I, I, I just, I just don't get the folks that are like, that are like against spending um, or against ownership and all this, you know, live rent uh, cheaply and all this other nonsense. Like there's a reason redlining exists back in the day. There's a reason, you know, our people weren't allowed to buy real estate is because it's the cornerstone of wealth and wealth, wealth is freedom. Like imagine that, imagine how better off that family would be if they had had that same property since 1924. And, and I implore you, if you're listening to this, go, go look up Bruce Beach. You'll see, what you'll see is a picture of just a, a empty plot of land and million dollar homes on every, every side of that land. Like that, that family has missed out on so much wealth in the last hundred years because that land was stolen from them. Um, and so hopefully, you know, thankfully the city is, is trying to make it right now. But uh, um, once again, I think it's the third or fourth time I said it, um, buy you some land. Like they're not making any more of it. Like do, do, do something, please, if you're listening to this, to the sound of my voice. It's funny because when I saw, so two things, when I saw them, uh, people celebrating like, oh, black family gets their land back. I was like, all right, and I'll do the rest of them. Do the, <laughs> <laughs> lost their land, their land back. That was the first thing I was thinking. But also it's just interesting how, headlines can be kind of uh, misleading because they didn't give us the details. All they said was they get their land back, but they didn't give us the details. And if we knew the details, he'd be like, man, that's whack. And if we knew like the fact of all the money they missed out on, we'd be like, man, that's whack. And so very important because that ain't exactly the deal that you think it is. They got to pay to get their own land back. Isn't that crazy? How you got to lease your own land back? If that's not the ghetto, I don't know what it is. Like, oh, here's your land. You just got to pay us for it. Like, what? That's what they do. They're going to take your stuff and charge you for it. Like, no, so just, just to be clear, if I, if I didn't say it clearly, like the, the city gets to lease the land back from the family for. for oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it's like, I'll just point it out. Though, like, but like, they're basically saying that land is valued at $413,000. And so, but think about if they were actually able to, 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 to lease that Keep land it. to the city for the last 100 years or the last 10 years um, or, or do something else with that property. You know, they, they missed out on so much. So much, uh, so much wealth because the, the property wasn't um, in their in their possession because of uh, eminent domain. But the the city did nothing with it for a solid twenty years and just built a, a lifeguard station eventually um, on it. Well, we gonna let we gonna let um, Dave answer that one last question. Where we Charles, we we got time? I got a call like now. Um, All right, so we gonna wrap it up. The question says briefly. It says. With the equity built, how do you feel about refinance versus HELOC or purchase a rental? Um, just, just real quick, it it really what makes sense for your specific scenario. So the benefit of a HELOC is that it doesn't impact your first mortgage. So if you have a super low rate on your first mortgage, you probably want to get a HELOC because uh, you don't want to mess with that that first mortgage. So that that resets the interest rate on the whole entire loan. Like the benefit of a HELOC is you can just use it like a credit card. And so if you get like a hundred thousand dollar line of credit, in theory, you never have to use that line of credit. Um, but he, until you actually need to use it. And so like, just like with a credit card, if you only need $20,000 of it, you only get charged interest on that $20,000, uh, part of the, of the, the home equity. But it, it really matters like what your specific scenario is, whether HELOC or a refi makes sense. A refi cost has a lot more fees. HELOCs are cheaper, a lot less fees, but the interest rate is a lot higher on a HELOC compared to a, a refinance. And so I, I, I'll, I'll shoot you a DM with a further, a further breakdown. Cool. So we're going to wrap up episode 129 of Tweet Talk, the Blackwell podcast. Be sure to follow our guest, Dave, 
on all social media at Coins and Culture. That's Coins, the letter N, Culture. Follow us on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast and at Todd.Capital. Episode 129 with our guest, Dave, and myself, Charles. Raphael. No, I'm not Charles. What's <laughs> that, so Raphael and Charles? We are out. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Yeah. Yes, this is Donald, the voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm giving you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holler at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.